that. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. And welcome to another edition of Morton's Law. I'm your host, Christopher Morton. Thank you, everybody, for joining me on this February the 9th, 2021. It's been about three weeks since I've done a show. And I'll be honest with you, um, I can't lie to my audience. The reason is that the motivation is difficult sometimes from the standpoint of all my friends, all the people who listen to this, and the numbers are small, I'm not going to deny that. Everyone says, oh, you have a great show. It's so much, inter- it's so entertaining. You talk about politics, sports, wrestling, you name it. And you are very conversational and you have a good time doing it. And it's a good listen. And I appreciate all those people. I just wish I could have more people listening and more people can enjoy this. And yeah, it's, it, it becomes frustrating when you see the numbers that I see. And, uh, but listen, I, a lot of people say you should do this for fun. And perhaps the audience will come at some point. And I'm going to take that frame of mind going forward. So what I did recently is I joined a Facebook group. It's a podcast community and people talk about their podcasts and how you grow an audience. And I was on there recently just talking about the lack of numbers and how you can advertise or promote whatever it is to market your podcast. And I'm always on there looking for some kind of feedback. And this group is very supportive for the most part. Sometimes it's therapeutic. Some of the positive advice they give to other people that are just trying to get an audience. And um, the thing is, I've done college radio. Now, I know it's just college radio, but I, I did college radio. And I understand that when you do things live, sometimes you make mistakes. So what I did was I asked people on this, on this group, why do you edit and what do you edit? And it's like, because, for example, I do, not only do I do, have I done college radio, but I also do stand-up comedy. And if you're on stage and you make a mistake, there is no do-over, there's no edit, you have to keep going. And my take about this podcast is the reason I don't really, I, now when I first started, I was really conscious of editing just because I wanted it to sound good. And I was very nervous when I first started doing this. But as I became more comfortable, I said, well, wait a second, if I have a little gaff." If there's a little pause, even if I lose my train of thought quickly, I don't have to edit much because it sounds real. It sounds like I'm talking to my audience and, oh, wow, I had a little mistake. Not a big deal. I think if you have a long uh, issue with train of thought, then, yeah, you want to edit that gap because it sounds terrible. I agree with that. So I, I asked the question, and a lot of feedback was pretty good in terms of, well, yeah, they do the same thing unless you have that. Or a lot of people edit if they do the um, or they do the you know, you know, um, that kind of thing. That's annoying for the listener. Completely agree there. I would edit that out. If I had a guest, I'd do that. But you listen to my show. I don't have a lot of ums and you knows. Those are, yeah, I just don't do that. Occasionally, everybody's guilty of it. So the thing is, while it was mostly positive, this one Karen, a.k.a. cunt, or whatever you want to call her, she... (laughs) She says that, oh, well, I like listening to podcasts with people who edit their stuff because it sounds more professional and they sound like they really care about their podcast. And I was like, what? You guys know I do so much prep work for this podcast. I care about it deeply. And like I said before, she there's a lot of podcasters out there that have never been in radio whatsoever. 
no media history, nothing like that. So this is all they know is how to podcast. And so they're trained by these other people that tell them, oh, you need to edit it so it sounds a certain way. Here's my take. If you're listening to my podcast and you're judging me on the small errors that people may make, because we're human beings, by the way, we make mistakes. Well, then fuck you. I don't want you listening to my show anyway. Because I'm a real human being and this is how it should sound. It's just like, I don't, I don't want to sound like a robot. It's just, it's just stupid. So that's just, yeah, it's, it is what it is. That She's a bougie cunt. So fuck her. And thank you for the support by those who listen and don't care about. Because it should be about substance. Substance and contact should, content should trump. Oh God, I'm sorry I said that word. Oh, uh, I can't, it's, it's, that's the funny thing about saying the word Trump now, it's just so, it's like, no one should ever say that again. <laughs> What's wrong with saying my name? It's not like it destroyed the country or anything for four years. Okay, let's just keep it moving. T- Trump 2024. Is, is he being impeached again? <laughs> How many times can he, can they impeach a president that's still not a president? <laughs> oh man, hilarious. Gotta love it. So, and that's another thing. If you listen to this podcast and you say, oh, well, he's not funny, he sucks, blah, blah, blah. I respect you for that. I have no issues with you telling me I suck, you don't want to hear me, whatever it is. That's fine. You know, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I've done stand-up where I've gotten zero response. And I've also had sets where I had an entire room laughing. So it is what it is. If you don't like me, oh, well. I'm not even going to tell you to go fuck yourself. It's cool. We're cool. But please don't have that mentality of, oh, he didn't edit this, or he didn't do that, and, oh, the podcast sucks for that reason. Go, you fucking, your mother should have had an abortion. That's it. It's that simple. <laughs> uh, I love having fun. So, uh, on to lighter things. Uh, my mom has COVID. Yeah, um, last time I checked, she's still alive. See, all right, I joke about that, but I'm going to explain to you the stress I've endured over the last two weeks. (sighs) So she calls me out of the blue. I hadn't spoken to her in a little while. And she tells me she has COVID, right? And you can hear her breathing is terrible. She's struggling. So I tell her, listen, you need to go to the hospital. It's that simple. You have have a a pre-existing condition. She has not had any shots yet. She, I mean, the vaccine, I don't know why she hasn't been able to get the shot yet. She's a senior with pre-existing conditions. That just shows even more how much of a joke it is in terms of this rollout. So I tell her, and then she starts telling me about our cat. We have a 17-year-old cat, love Rusty to death, um, uh, poor choice of words, because he is on that verge of dying, and um, she doesn't want to leave until someone comes and takes him out of the house because he needs to be put down. But who in their right mind is going to go into this apartment right now? And unless you have COVID, you're not taking the risk. So, no, first of all, I call about 10 vets. Seven of the 10 don't do house calls. The other three don't want to go in because she has COVID. A no-brainer, right? So, <laughs> she's fighting me on going to the hospital. So, I, I literally tell her, I say, I say, you know what? Call an ambulance. And she says, no, I am not going to the hospital. I said, no, 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 not for you, for the cat. I actually care about him. Okay, I just had to throw one joke in there, right? I mean, no, this is serious. I know this is, (laughs) oh my 
should be joking about their mom having COVID. But it was one line I couldn't resist. So I told her, listen, you could die. And again, until someone takes the cat, she's not leaving. And I actually said the following. I said, listen, you're going to die. Because uh, she doesn't want to go to the hospital and come back and find the cat dead. And I said, you're going to die before the cat. She goes, oh, so be it. <laughs> Who would say that? See, that's my torture. And this is what I get, you know, for actually trying to help the woman that basically abandoned me several years ago. But I'm trying to be a good son. So fast forward a few days, the breathing is getting worse. She calls me again. And now I have a bunch of people saying, you should just call an ambulance for her. Maybe they can convince her to go to the hospital. So I do that. I, I was on the phone with 911 for like five minutes trying to explain how difficult of a person this is you're about to encounter. Like this is this might be the most difficult challenge of these people's lives to go into her apartment. Oh, what a headache. So I let a couple hours go and then I called the house just to see if by chance she refused medical attention and didn't go. And sure as shit, she picks up the phone angry. How could you do that to me? How could you call the ambulance? I was like, so did they come in and do anything for you? No, I refused. And the guy even said to me, I have a right to refuse. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So you know what? She hung up on me, and I tried, and I'm done. That's it. I'm done. I, I tried to be the good son, and that's it. Oh, well. And you know what? A lot of people have been saying recently, I'm not religious. I always tell you guys this. People say, oh, God, God has a plan for me. I'm like, yeah, to make me miserable, that's about it. I don't know if he has another plan. But he's really doing a good job at this. All right, we have a jam-packed show coming up. We're going to be talking Super Bowl, NBA, lots of wrestling. I actually watched a little bit of Raw. I know it's been a long time since I reviewed the show. Of course, we're going to talk NXT, AW, much, much more. Morton's Law Podcast coming back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law Thank you again for joining me. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Morton's underscore law, where I like to have fun and abuse people just because that's what I like to do, because <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the Super Bowl. Now, prior to the Super Bowl, like I said, I haven't been on for three weeks. We had the Chiefs coming into the Super Bowl, which a lot of people forget that what they did to the Buffalo Bills, who were a good team. The Chiefs pretty much manhandled the Bills on their way to the Super Bowl, and then the Bucks kind of did the same thing to the Packers on the road. Again, Aaron Rodgers coming up short in a big spot. People can make all the excuses in the world. Granted, he had another amazing regular season, winning another MVP. But once again, home field advantage, Aaron Rodgers dropped the ball. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Uh, You can make, again, people, there's so many Aaron Rodgers apologists out there that need to just see the reality that he's almost like the Clayton Kershaw of the NFL, okay? That's just pretty much a fact, yes. One championship in how many years for Aaron Rodgers? That's it. Only one Super Bowl appearance, by the way. He hasn't even lost in the Super Bowl. So, it is what it is. So, on to the big game. Chiefs came in at a three-point favorite. And, uh, you know, coming into this game, and I think a lot of people really thought that the Chiefs were just the better team and would find a way to win. Uh, a lot of people gave Brady... I Listen... I never thought the Packers were that good, which is why I didn't give the Bucks as much credit as maybe other people did going into Lambeau and winning that game. And, I mean, aside from Mahomes getting injured in the game against the Browns, 
yeah, people can say, oh, well, the Chiefs kind of limped towards the finish line in terms of the regular season. They had some subpar games that didn't look like the Chiefs. But while that's true, if Mahomes doesn't get hurt, they probably drop 40 plus on the Browns. They dropped, what, high 30s? Or what was the final score of that game against? Uh, they, they pretty much crushed the Bills. So I just, I thought the Chiefs were too good and they would find, and look, 80% of people had money on the Chiefs. I mean, there's just no way to say, I mean, look, a lot of people were just on Brady. That's what it was. And then to do with the Bucs, it was a Brady's going to find a way to win this game. So the game starts and right away you can see the Chiefs are having a hard time with the offensive line being down, which is, by the way, poor research on my part. I didn't know how banged up the Chiefs were. Of course, I had money on this game. There's no way around that. And I didn't know they were down a couple linemen. And, and sometimes when you have a quarterback like Mahomes who can escape the pocket, the linemen aren't that big of a deal. Although, as we saw in this game uh, with JPP and Barrett getting the pressure they did up the middle, Mahomes was running for his life the entire game. And they had a couple early punts. And then you start thinking, oh, no, here we go. Because if you look at the regular season game, Mahomes threw for, what, 200-plus yards in the first quarter. Tyreek Hill had almost 200 yards in the first quarter. But then in the second half, the Buccaneer defense adjusted. And the, the Chiefs had a couple stall drives, a couple possessions. And they ended up winning 27-24. And it seems like the adjustments that were made in the second half of that game carried over to the Super Bowl. And, and then you have Brady to Gronk. I mean, listen. I have Daily Fantasy, and I started Brates because I've seen the success Brate has had with Brady. And out of nowhere, Gronk takes all his catches. And I know Brate was questionable coming in with an injury, but he played. And a lot of these guys have injuries, and they still play and have production. And I didn't see this coming with Gronk. I mean, Gronk, turn back the clock, whatever you want to call it. Uh, just an incredible connection they had throughout this game with the two touchdown passes. Had that uh, incredible play before the half where there was the penalty and a lot of people went nuts about the penalty look we'll talk about that in a second but um listen the bucks defense is the difference in this game okay the discipline on defense is incredible the game plan by todd bowles i mean you can't listen jeff fans are gonna kill bowls they call him you know todd toilet bowls whatever you want to call him and he now again he may just be a really good defensive coordinator. Maybe he's not a head coach. We've encountered that many times in the past with all the Belichick disciples, okay? Some guys are just not head coaches. In fact, if you go through the league, there's not that many good head coaches. There's mediocrity everywhere. Who's a good head coach? Not many. So, I mean, listen, and not not to mention the great defense. Because, listen, Todd Bowles can, can lay out a game plan. But the players have to execute. And the whole game plan was about shutting down Tyreek Hill. You want to give Kelsey the underneath stuff, which is what they did. Kelsey had, what, 10 catches? Um, That's what they did. But they doubled Tyreek Hill. And they took away any deep ball. And throughout the game, as we saw, no other wide receiver stepped up. Nothing from Pringle, Robinson, Sammy Watkins had one catch. Um, Just nobody else stepped up. And uh, that was that was, and, and not to mention there were a couple of drops. Now Tyreek Hill had a difficult catch to make in the end zone. You want to say, all right, he should catch that ball. I argue with people about making catches and how difficult they are. We, you know, when a guy makes a great catch, like, oh wow, that was a phenomenal catch. 
You shouldn't tell the guy when he doesn't catch that same kind of pass. But people do. And, uh, and it's usually regular people like you and I who don't play in the NFL and don't understand the difficulty of the catch. We just know more than everybody else. All right, that's what people do. So, I mean, look, and, and that's another thing. Going back to the penalties. People, so many people that don't know sports. I even argued with a friend of mine who does know sports. They said, oh, well, the, the, the call on Mike uh, on Evans should not have been a penalty. You cannot trip the wide receiver. Now, again, we cannot guarantee that Evans would have caught that pass. We don't know. But I don't think it was uncatchable. And the rules official who came on said it was the right call. And people are up in arms. You see all the memes about, oh, well, the officials changed the game and all this other stuff. Listen, if you want to say that the penalty before the half was questionable on Tyron Matthew, fine. You know, you can say that. I have no problem with that. But don't say the officials dictated the game because there's still a second half to be played. The Chiefs are down 21-6 and you get the ball coming out to start the third quarter. And you figure, all right, well, this is the Chiefs. The enemy and Reed, they're going to put together some kind of game plan at the half to make adjustments to the pass rush and the doubling of Tyreek Hill. And what do they do? They come out and they, they same thing. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. They drive stalled. They had a punt. Or did they get a field goal? I think they got a field goal in that first drive. Pardon me. Yeah, it was 21-9. So I stand corrected. But um, yeah, I mean, even Romo said coming out of the half, he said they have to max protect and take deep shots with Hill. But Tampa Bay just never let it happen. And the Bucks ran the ball effectively. Not only did Brady have a big game with Gronk, but uh, uh, Fournette ran it well. Jones ran it well. They had a lot of success running the ball and a great game plan second half with the lead to just take the air out of the ball. No reason to pass. And uh, people talk about the Mahomes injury, the foot or the toe, excuse me, specifically the toe. He's going to have surgery on. I'm sure he probably already had surgery on that toe. But the thing is this, that pass rush as it was coming through, we saw Mahomes multiple times running for his life. I do not believe even on a healthy toe anything changes. I don't believe it. I mean, the reversal, the everything he did while he may have been in pain, I don't think would have changed if he were healthy. So that's what it is. And look, this game, a lot of people talk about the commercials. I'm not going to go into the commercials. I don't really care much, but people say they were more entertaining. And you can make a case, the commercials were more entertaining than the game. Because once this got ugly and you knew late third quarter, early fourth, Chiefs are not coming back. It just became, oh my goodness. I know so many people turned it off. Yeah, I mean, listen, nobody, and I mean nobody, would have predicted the Kansas City Chiefs to score nine points in a game. If these two teams played ten times, and you can debate this all you want, I'm inclined to believe that the Chiefs probably win seven of those ten times. And this is just one of those times. Now, again, maybe if the Chiefs are healthy at, at offensive line, this is a different game. I don't know. So kudos to that defense. Kudos to Brady. Listen, the GOAT, it's really not debatable anymore. If it, if it has been recently, people will always throw Montana's name out there, of course, for Super Bowls. But, uh, yeah, seven rings in ten appearances for Brady. It's incredible. And people talk about Mahomes. Mahomes, yeah. Uh, he basically said this game motivated him to come forward, to go forward and, and just have success. Of course, he's going to. It's not like everyone, oh, Patrick Mahomes is done. No, 
as they said during the broadcast, Nance made the point. He's going to be back many times with this team. Unless they get major salary cap issues where they have to get rid of people and then the team isn't the same. But, uh, yeah, Chiefs have a great future. I mean, listen, the Bills are going to be there going forward. Josh Allen, incredible quarterback. If the, if the Chargers ever get some people around uh, Herbert, another great quarterback in the AFC, yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll see what the Dolphins do. I mean, they have some, some potential there too. And uh, moving along now, listen, you guys know I'm a Bears fan. I got to talk about this because this is bothering me. I'm hearing all those reports about Carson Wentz and who he's on the table to go to. People talk Indianapolis because he can reunite with Frank Reich, who is the OC in Philly. And then there was talk about Deshaun Watson being traded multiple places, even being traded for Tua to Miami. And now apparently Watson might be staying put. We'll see what happens there. But if the Chicago Bears, Ryan Pace specifically, goes and trades any future first round picks... For Carson Wentz, I don't know if I'm watching next year. I might be done as a fan until uh, Ryan Pace is no longer the general manager. I can't stomach the thought of this mediocre quarterback, Carson Wentz, who is slightly, and I say slightly, a cut above Mitchell Trubisky. And you can you can disagree, debate that all you want. A lot of people have fallen out of love with Carson Wentz. And then not many were in love with him at the beginning anyway. So I am not a fan of this move. If the Bears make it, I will be livid. And listen, I want Dak. I know it's hard to get Dak because he's he's gonna look. The Cowboys should throw you know throw him a pretty much a blank check. Let's be honest. Dak's numbers are incredible. I think he's underappreciated to be honest with you. And now coming off the injury though, people are gonna say, oh well, what Dak are we gonna get now? Is Dak's mobility gonna be limited? So a lot of that will factor in. But if I'm a, I'm a Bears fan, I want Dak. I would give up. I would, you know, not for nothing. I know it's salary cap related. If I could trade Khalil Mack to Dallas, I would take Dak in a heartbeat. If they did assign a trade. Again, complicated with cap issues. Moving along. Uh, Jared Goff. This is an interesting trade here. The Lions send Stafford to the Rams, and the Rams also gave up multiple first-round picks, which is a lot. I mean, oh my goodness. The Rams got released in this deal, I think. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking giving up draft picks on top of giving up Goff. Now, listen, say what you will about Goff, but I don't understand this love of Matthew Stafford. Go look at his career numbers. He has a lot of inflated numbers in fourth quarters of games in which he, he specifically, puts his team behind the eight ball with horrible interceptions that he throws. He's basically Phillip Rivers of the NFC. And look at Rivers' career, too. Same situation. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think Stafford is going to be much of an improvement over Goff. And Goff has issues. I'm not saying he doesn't. Uh, so good luck with the Rams in their future giving up picks like that. That's just, oh my goodness, that's painful. If you're a fan of that franchise, knowing you're losing picks for a guy who's just not much better. So we'll see what happens there. Moving along to the NBA. I don't have much more of sports here. I just want to talk about a little NBA. Um, so Kevin Durant, it was it was a bizarre situation the other night against the Raptors. So Durant doesn't start the game. 
because of COVID protocol. Apparently, they thought he was in contact with somebody, and so he's out of the game. And then somehow he comes into the game in the late first quarter. So now he's back. I don't, I don't know if anyone knows what's going on here. So he comes back, and then in the third quarter, he gets what everyone thought was going to be his fourth foul. So they review the foul. Or excuse me, they challenge the foul. And by the way, <laughs> the officials blew that. They really blew it. If you look at the replay, Durant bumps the uh, intended player going for a loose ball. You can't bump a guy in that situation. And Durant didn't even get there first. And they said he did. <laughs> they butchered that. But then, moments later, Durant is pulled from the game again. You're like, what the hell's going on? I mean, I don't know. I, I can't explain the story about the COVID part. But all I know is Durant is in, Durant is out, now he's out. And to no surprise, if you follow the NBA, James Harden and Kyrie Irving found a way to lose that game against the Raptors at home. And that's just an indictment. And look, I know Kyrie was injured with his finger, blah, blah, blah. But when I look at that team and the future of that team, if Kevin Durant isn't carrying both of those guys on his back, they're not winning. That is it. I do not trust James Harden. I do not trust Irving. You want to tell me about Kyrie's playoff against the uh, Warriors with a down 3-1? And yes, he had a couple big games. That's it. How long has he been in the league? What else has Kyrie Irving done? And don't get me, I'm not going to dismiss that. I'm not going to say it wasn't a great performance to come back and beat the Warriors. But other than that, I don't know if I trust this guy. So the Nets, again, they don't play any D. They did have a good win against the Clippers. Not going to say they didn't have a good win. But again, they give up 119. They just scored a little more. Surprised there by the Clippers, D. But listen, when you have that big three playing, it's going to be hard to stop them. Listen, the Nets have been scoring 125, 130 every game. They just give up that many. So they're losing games. And uh, when you look at this, look at the league right now. Look at the league as a whole. Take a guess who the best record is in the NBA right now. Yeah, a lot of people would say it's the Lakers, right? You would think Lakers? Mm-hmm. Utah Jazz. 19-5 and Utah Jazz. And they're just, they're beating people up badly. They're, they're going on the road on the East Coast. They're demolishing teams. Uh, Mike Conley didn't even play the other day, and they still won in Indiana. I mean, this team is a juggernaut. They look really good, and they play defense. That's important once you get to that postseason. So, yeah, the Jazz, I mean... I'm impressed by that team right now. <clears throat> the Knicks continue to be up and down, but much improved. Um, they traded for Derrick Rose, which I still don't understand. I love Rose, of course, as a Bulls fan. But the thing is, when you have Quickly and you have Peyton getting good minutes at that position. Now, Quickly plays both positions, both Peyton's. Now, of course, Austin Rivers is the other guy there, too. So someone's losing minutes to Derrick Rose. Now, I know Tibbs loves Rose because of the connection they had in Chicago and then a little bit in Minnesota, too. But, um, yeah, I don't know if that I don't know if that's going to hurt chemistry. But if I'm quickly Peyton and Rivers, I know now I'm like losing minutes. So we'll see. And listen, the parity in the East is incredible. There's so many teams that are just, uh, you know, like when we talk about the Sixers, you talk about the Celtics who have been really not decimated but they've had some injuries lately Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown going down but I think when they're full strength they're going to be a force of course <laughs> that ride didn't mean to run 
Oh man. So I would say that between the Celtics, the Nets, the Bucks have been better lately. The Bucks started out really slowly, but now they've been demolishing people. They've been scoring 120, winning games everywhere. Uh, if they can continue the hot shooting that they have from the perimeter, uh, minus Giannis's inability to shoot, by the way, they're going to be a force. I mean, there's a lot of good teams. Even Indiana is good when they're at full strength. So we'll see what's going on. But listen, again, I'm not the biggest fan of the way they played the game. I'm not going to go into that again, but... I'm at least watching because I do the daily fantasy stuff. And what a joke. Let, let, listen, I know LeBron's breaking every record there is, but I don't know if you heard about this. I think it was last week, maybe the week before. LeBron had fans ejected from a game. Now, some of the places are allowing X amount of fans into the building. <clears throat> and he had a couple fans heckling him at courtside. And I don't know what was said, but for him to get people ejected, I mean, how sensitive is this man? I mean, he is so... It's, it's out of control how sensitive he is. I mean, when you watch his games, when he gets fouled, he acts like he got shot. How about the fact that he... You gotta see his face sometimes when he gets fouled. It looks like he's about to cry. I mean, oh my goodness, I can't stand him. I mean, if you remember back in the 80s and early 90s, there was a, a, a famous heckler named... What was his name? Robin... Robin... Uh, oh, I forget his last name. But he was a Washington... Back in the day when they were the Washington Bullets... He was notorious for heckling every visiting player, and he would sit right behind the bench. So you could not hear him yelling at you. He went at Michael Jordan. He went at everybody. But everyone knew he did it in a respectful manner. Now, I don't know what these people said to LeBron. I don't know. I don't know if that's available. But again, it's it's ridiculous how sensitive athletes are today. It really is. <clears throat> Last but not least, uh, I wanted to just talk about what I heard at halftime the other day. I'm watching, I forget what game it was on TNT. And Barkley, Shaq, and Kenny Smith are talking about how this one team had such a size advantage and they're still shooting all these threes and they weren't making any of them. They weren't making their threes. And I, I think the other team had some injuries. They, they, they were down a couple of their bigger front court men. And um, this team just kept shooting. And this is what you've seen in this league. This is the indictment I talk about all the time on coaches too it's not just the players if you have an advantage as they call it the mouse in the house and you have a big man and you're you have a four or five inch height advantage go post people up very few teams in this league are posting people up anymore and you have to take advantage of your size stop shooting these 25 foot shots if you're not making them and i was so happy barkley came out and said it barkley just dumped on the whole thought process and hopefully one day these coaches get it and just say, what are you doing? You shoot 28% from three. Stop shooting the ball. Stop shooting threes. We don't need you to make two out of ten from three. It doesn't do anything. Don't care. All right. Well, we got pro wrestling coming up on the other side. A lot to talk about. You're listening to Morton's Law Podcast coming back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law. It is wrestling time, everybody. Who's excited about wrestling? Anybody? I know it's hard to be excited unless you're watching the classics. Yeah, listen, there's good and bad and everything, but there's a lot of bad, so let's get to it. 
Alright, you guys know how I feel about Raw and SmackDown. I used to review Raw many years ago, <laughs> so it feels, because it's such a hard show to watch, because it's usually insulting. Uh, I consider it like nails on the chalkboard. However, last night I'm texting with Valerie Lynn from the Valerie Lynn Show that I've promoted here. You guys should check that out when you get a chance. And she's texting me that she's actually watching Raw. And I asked if she's doing so at gunpoint. Because that is the only way I would watch Raw. Until she says the following. Keith Lee is going to wrestle Matthew Riddle tonight. And I went, what? And I became really excited. And not because of her, but because of Riddle and Lee, partial homo. Okay, I mean, listen, I've seen their matches in Evolve. So I know how good that these two guys can wrestle. And I thought, if WWE doesn't ruin it, we're going to get a really good match to watch. And I thought, okay, I was like... It is the road to WrestleMania, so I figure I'll give it a chance. How bad can Raw be after all? Maybe you change. Listen, if you go watch the show every four or five months, maybe you're gonna get a good episode here and there. I don't know. So I was like, okay, we'll see. So Raw, I'm not gonna review the whole show. I'm just gonna tell you what I got up to so far, because uh, I could always give you the rest of it next episode. I'm gonna try and do another one next Tuesday, by the way. So we start the show and scrap Iron Adam Pearce is now Pierce that easy for me to say is now on camera personality and for those who don't know Adam Pierce the former NWA world heavy okay the dark years of the NWA he did win the championship though to be fair and of course former most a lot of people know him from Ring of Honor too so like wow he's I know he was an agent for a long time and now he's on camera so he's there talking about uh, I guess the elimination chamber match and out comes Shane McMahon and here's the thing, Shane has been on hiatus, according to commentators, right? He hasn't been there in how long? I don't know. Now, I haven't watched in months, so apparently I missed the hiatus. So it's like Shane McMahon never left for me. <laughs> like, oh, Shane's back. Where did he go? I haven't been watching. So basically, the more things change, the more they say the same, if you will. So they announced the participants for this elimination chamber. Of course, McIntyre is the champion. You're going to get Hardy, Styles, and I went, oh, Sheamus, really? I was like, uh, anybody but Sheamus. Listen, I've never been a fan of Sheamus. You've heard me say it here. I just don't get Sheamus. I, I mean, yo, you want to say he's a good heel? Fine. You, he's just an average WWE worker, in my opinion. He just has that WWE style. There's nothing that makes me go, oh, Sheamus. It's kind of like with The Miz. Just less annoying, if you will. So, I, I don't, I mean, whatever, it's just, it is okay. And not to mention, by the way, with this whole Seamus McIntyre storyline, didn't they just do something similar the last time I watched? I mean, I guess it's been so long that they can bring it back. But when Heath Slater was leaving, and he supposedly said that McIntyre wasn't there for him, and they were longtime friends also, I don't know, what is it, rinse, repeat with these angles? So now Seamus and McIntyre are longtime friends, so it's basically... Let's just turn on everybody. That's what they do. Very little creativity, to be fair. Very little. Just, ugh. So the first match on Raw is AJ Styles against Jeff Hardy. And I was going to skip this, because listen, been there, done that, alright? How many times did they wrestle on SmackDown last year, or whatever it was? And I said, alright, let's be fair. Road to WrestleMania, let's give this match a chance. And this match was really good. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was uh, good storytelling with Hardy having the pre-existing knee injury. 
Styles work the leg. Simple, right? Wrestling 101. Take a body part, work on it, get some heat. Uh, Hardy sold like a champ. I was really impressed with that. Even when Hardy made his comeback and he used the bad leg, he still sold after each movie hit. Now, I didn't love, I gotta be somewhat critical here, I didn't love him you know, climbing to the top ropes for the swanton. I felt it would have been better, instead of him missing the swanton, if he fell off the top ropes because he couldn't hold his leg up there. So he couldn't stabilize his leg, so then he fell off into the ring. Now, I was honestly surprised here. AJ Styles hits the calf crusher and Hardy taps out. I went, whoa, that's a really good clean finish. Everything about the match was good aside from my nitpick. Um, Alright, if I have another one, I'll say this. Because, you know, you guys know I also talk about MMA on this podcast whenever it's a big show. Now, if you're going to do a calf crusher after working on the knee, it's called the calf crusher. From that position, I don't know how much it could do to the knee damage-wise, but I'm more inclined to believe, in fact, I know this, if you do a, a knee bar, I know AJ Styles doesn't do a knee bar or a figure four, but that would hurt the knee more than I think the calf crusher. But again, that's not a big deal to me. So AJ wins. So they promote the Lee versus Riddle match, and they have a backstage segment, and Riddle comes out doing his best RVD, Jeff Spicoli imitation from Fast Times. You know, <laughs> that's what Riddle sounds like, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like, Mr. Hand, I mean, if it's your time and my time, isn't it our time? <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. So, apparently Riddle has seen every Air Bud movie there is, which was okay. <laughs> That's what you would expect a stoner to say, though. So it's kind of funny, I guess. I mean, what else do stoners do? They watch weird movies. And they eat a lot of munchies. Now, everyone hated the idea of Keith Lee being sent back down to the performance center. Oh, Keith Lee is this good. And I love Keith Lee. I'll say this. But as you heard on this podcast, I talked about the reason why I think Vince McMahon sent him back down is because he wanted him to be more serious and wanted him to work in a different way, more like a bigger man. And in this segment here with the face-to-face, you could see the changes immediately. Immediately. He wasn't the typical happy-go-lucky Keith Lee. He was focused. He was serious. He told Riddle, I'm going to beat you tonight. And I like that. I like that a lot. And that's, I think, what Vince wanted to see. So for all those people that followed him on in Evolve and all these other companies he's been in, they don't get that aspect. They don't get that because they're in a crowd with 500 people where they love Keith Lee. But how you get Keith Lee over more is with the masses, with the one, the two million raw audience, plus the occasional casual fan who comes and says, who's this guy Keith Lee? He's awesome. Look at what he does to people. And he's serious. That's how you get people like that over. Now, again, Keith Lee isn't going to shock everybody on the mic. He's not going to make everyone compelled by what he says. But... If you have a guy out there doing those moves at his size, that's impressive. As long as he's not doing too many outrageous stuff that makes him look like a cruiserweight. So, next up is Charlotte and Lacey Evans. Well, first it was Lacey and Ric Flair. They were in the ring cutting a promo. Um, I'm not too privy to this entire storyline, but it kind of sells it's, tells itself from the aspect that uh, Lacey Evans is now with Ric Flair. So she's trying to learn from Ric Flair. She respects Ric Flair. I mean, who doesn't respect Ric Flair? 
and now Charlotte can't live up to the expectations of Ric Flair and all this other crap. Listen, that's it is what it is. If you like that, enjoy it. If not, blah. Um, so they end up having a match, and the match was decent. Although I'll say this: <laughs> there's a really bad botch in this match, and they covered the announcers covered it up well. There's a spot where Charlotte is running at Lacey at full speed, about to put an elbow into her. And Lacey is supposed to hit Charlotte. And I don't know what happened. It sounds like she just forgot to hit her. So as Charlotte gets there, she stops cold and tells Lacey, hit me. <laughs> and then she hit her. And I'm like, oh my god, how do you forget your spot? That looks so bad. But hey, it happens. And then, to me, the finish made no sense either. So Charlotte tells her father... Watch this. She, she, she was setting him up that she was going to do something. She runs to the corner and she starts laying vicious elbows. Excuse me. She starts laying in legal forearm shots, by the way. Legal forearm shots. And the referee disqualifies her. And I went, what? Did, no five count. No illegal punches. And she got disqualified. I mean, am I missing something? How is that a disqualification? <laughs> what, did I, what are they doing? So, that was that. Um, so, Edge cuts a promo about who he'll be challenging. Obviously, he showed up at Raw. He showed up at NXT with Finn Balor, which was really good. And I didn't see the Roman Reigns face-to-face on SmackDown. Uh, he actually called all the titles world titles, which... Now, I know one of them is the Universal, but I've been forever saying that the NXT title should be a world title because if, if unless I'm mistaken, it's been defended on four continents. So yes, the NXT title should be a world title and it isn't. So, and then, oh, who can ruin a segment better than The Miz? Nobody. So The Miz comes out, I get nauseous and then Edge proceeds to cut one of the best promos talking about how serious he is about winning this title, how it means more to him, and all this other stuff that I don't remember verbatim, but he just put Miz in his place, and Edge came out looking like a superstar. It was an incredible promo, as only he can do. And listen, I support Edge. We'll talk about the Royal Rumble in a second, because I want to go back a little bit and talk about that. Um, so, <laughs> the next match was Damian Priest with Bugs Bunny... So they come to the ring against Garza. I don't. I mean, listen, Garza was initially with that that trio back when I was watching, and now that that is pretty much done. I don't know what's going on with any of those guys. Well, I know what's his name is back in NXT, but yeah, none, none of that really panned out. So Bugs Bunny. <laughs> I know his name is Bad Bunny. I'm just just can't believe it's a guy named Bad Bunny. And uh, there was a lot of outside interference, and then Priest ended up hitting the finish. So, I, what I'm going to do is this. I started watching the Riddle and Keith Lee match, and I was impressed. These two guys were going at it, and it looked like a serious match. Riddle pulling right away for an armbar, and Lee hit him with this incredible move. And I didn't finish it just because of time. I wanted to get this podcast out tonight. So, I'll go back and watch that match and review it. And uh, give you my thoughts on the, the how that match went down with Riddle and Lee. So, uh, just moving along here with the Royal Rumble. Listen, that women's match was 20 times better than last year's. Dude, last year's match was so boring and I felt like nothing happened. It was just a snore fest. This match and the finish, oh my goodness. 
you can't say enough about how they did this finish with Bianca Belair winning. Um, and listen, she truly deserves it. Bianca Belair is a superstar. And not just to use that word as everyone does in WWE, because not everyone is a superstar, but she is. And I don't need a fans to chant that she deserves it because she does deserve it. She's that good. And her post-match emotions were genuine. And just, it's, it's really easy to root for her. And I really hope she does win at WrestleMania. And she should. There's no reason she should lose at WrestleMania, whichever champion she picks. Um, the men's match this year was... It was ah, it was okay. I mean, I don't. We talk about there not being a crowd, even though, of course, in the Thunderdome you see the people. We just don't really hear them. We hear fake crowd noise. But this match lacked. I mean, the first guys in Edge and Orton was cool. One and two. You had a couple moments. You had the nostalgic moment with Christian and Edge in the ring. But for the most part, a lot of forgettable moments. Um, you had Edge pretty much hiding a lot of the match. Listen, I know he's age, and I know he's not going to work the whole match. And no one really works the entire Royal Rumble match anyway. But I just feel like there were pockets where you're like, where's Edge? Oh, he's in the corner hanging out. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the finish here was also perfectly done because Orton got injured and he left. And you thought Orton was done. But if you watch wrestling, you know Orton was coming back. And sure enough, Orton comes back. He hits the RKO. And then Edge still throws him out and wins. And... For those who had seen what was, quote-unquote, the greatest match ever, and then Edge getting hurt, this was the perfect storytelling. And that's the thing, you know, you have to be honest, when you see great storytelling, and WWE did a great job here at this Royal Rumble by having Edge win, and like I said, we still don't know who he's going to challenge. I would be inclined to believe, I mean, if he's a face, he's going to want to challenge the heel, unless they take the title off McIntyre at Elimination Chamber, I think it's going to be Edge and Roman Reigns which I think is the bigger profile match. I'm not sure what heel could beat. I mean, if Sheamus wins, I don't. I hope Sheamus doesn't win, but I don't know what other heel, because AJ's a heel, but, I mean, you could do AJ and Edge, you could. So I'm not really sure what they're going to do in that, in that aspect. Moving along to NXT. All right, let me get this straight. I'm trying to understand this here. Help me understand this. So Pete Dunne, is somehow getting a title shot before carrying cross. Didn't he actually lose to O'Reilly twice, Pete Dunne? Not once, but twice. Or am I mistaken? And and Cross never lost the title. So why is Cross essentially climbing the ladder to earn another title shot? He beat Damian Priest. How does that not put him directly in line ahead of Pete Dunne? What has Pete done? Done? <laughs> what has Pete done done to deserve a title shot? I don't think he has. It's it's so stupid how they book these days. It's like a guy coming off a losing streak gets a title shot. I didn't understand that at all. And now, did I miss something? Because I don't. Did Santos Escobar say something about carrying cross? Because you have Scarlet out for the match. Escobar. In his uh, cruiserweight title match against Stallion, well, I mean Kirk Stallion. I, I, okay, I don't know who he is. I don't know if he came from Evolve or some other indie. I'm not sure. I think it was Evolve. So you have Scarlet, and then the match ends, and now Karrion Cross comes out and he gets in Santo Escobar's face. I mean, 
Isn't this how you kill your monster by putting him in a ring with the Cruiserweight Champion? And nothing against Santos Escobar, El Hijo, De Fantasmo. Listen, he's been in there with heavyweights before if you watch Lucha Underground. In fact, these two guys are linked to Lucha Underground. Although Cross didn't have a bigger role because he came at the end of Lucha Underground, really, as the White Rabbit. If you remember that. But, uh, I mean, these two can have a good match. I'm not saying they can't, but... What, why is Cross waiting for his title shot so long? And when is he going to get it? I don't know. But overall, NXT lately has been really struggling to give us anything compelling. When you watch NXT, you start thinking, okay, what is this? What am I watching? This show used to be really good, and now it's just kind of blah. And people will argue with me. I have friends who argue all the time. Oh, well, it's great wrestling. But it's not compelling. Yes, it's good. I'm never going to tell you it's not good ring work. Everybody knows how to work. They're all properly trained. But you got to still care about something. You got you to gotta make me care. Why am I watching this? And I'm not going to talk about ratings. But why else are people more watching uh, AEW as much of a train wreck as that show can be? There's more interesting things going on. We'll talk about that later. And not to come, uh, listen, I really don't want to come across as disrespectful here, because they are really good in the ring, but again, I think I've said this before, Birch and Lorkin, they should not be main eventing, unless they, you know, Dunn is involved in McAfee. They just, they look lost, they look like mid-carters trying to be main eventers. They're just, they don't come across as main eventers, again, two guys nobody cares about. And, uh, listen, this Dusty Rhodes classic, this past week had one of the better matches I've ever seen in this classic. And it was strong and cold against Thatcher and Champa. And listen, I love the fact that they put Thatcher and Champa together. This was a great idea, whoever came up with it. And the whole respect thing, it, it, it's really well done. And this match, I loved it. This was a classic wrestling match. It was perfect. There was nothing wrong with this match. The finish, everything, the work. You want to know what the only thing wrong with this match was? I stand corrected. There was one thing wrong with this match. It was a quarterfinal. How was these four guys in a quarterfinal? This should have been the final. This match should have been for the Dusty Rhodes Classic Tournament Final. Listen, if you like the grizzled young veterans, uh, I'm sorry, I don't care. Two more guys I don't care about, just like Fandango and and you know Breezango. I don't care about them. Birch and Lorkin. These four guys I cared about. MSK is still young. MSK should not be winning this tournament. They shouldn't even be in the finals. Maybe they. I don't know. Listen, the brackets could have been better where you could have set it up where these four could have been the championship or the final. But I do hope that, listen, Thatcher and Ciampa winning was really cool. The fact that they had them win, considering they are a new team. Um, And I hope they win it. I really hope they win the tournament now. Uh, I tweeted this to uh, HBK, um, Triple H, Jeremy Borash. I think that, listen, if you turn on the other channel, you see the leg slapping. For those familiar, unfamiliar... People, when they hit leg kicks, they slap their leg, and it's what creates the sound. However, those in the past, and even some present, know how to hide it better so you don't just see it. If you see the guy slapping in front of his thigh, well, I know what he just did to make that sound. 
a lot of guys, Shawn Michaels specifically in the past, would slap the inner thigh so you don't really see it as much unless you're really looking for it. But NXT is starting to have some issues with that. I'm noticing some guys slapping. And look, if they're in the PC all the time, you would be inclined to believe that they're being told all the time, hide your leg slap. We don't want to see it. So that's my little nitpick of the week for NXT, along with it being not so compelling. Um, let's move on to AEW. I'm going to talk about a few things during the, during the last few weeks, but more specifically, let's just focus on last show. The Battle Royal with the tag teams in it was really good. I enjoyed it. Not going to knock. I know a lot of people didn't love it because Battle Royal sometimes can be just chaotic and, and nonsensical. But uh, the fact that they had Jericho and MJF win makes sense. I like that. Plus, you have the continued frustration from Sammy with MJF. Now, I think this would be entertaining and interesting in terms of how they break these guys up eventually would be when when they do the tag team title match with MJF Jericho against the Young Bucks. If Sammy comes to ringside and quote-unquote accidentally costs MJF the tag titles by coming to ringside to quote-unquote help, and then that backfires and the Young Bucks win, and then you could finally have Jericho now turn on Sammy too. So where it's not just Sammy and MJF, Jericho turns on Sammy. And then Sammy becomes a babyface, which I think is where they're headed. Sammy looks like he could be a really good baby face going forward. We'll see. Now, here's where Tony Khan drops the ball with booking. Alright, it kills the credibility of your company and your so-called sports-based competition when you announce the following. Joey Janela is going to get an opportunity. I hate saying opportunity. He's going to get a title shot. By the way, I wish they would stop saying opportunity. Now they got me saying it. Next week against, well, this week now, today's Tuesday, it'll be tomorrow night, against Darby Allen. And I went, what? Excuse me, who is Joey Janela beaten to deserve any title match? This makes zero sense and turns people off. How do you care about Joey Janela? Remember the time he was in the main event against Omega? What are you doing? Now, the only way this works is if you do the following. Team Taz jumps Janela before the match... I feel like that's been done before, but it is what it is. And then you have Hobbs or Starks take his place. Then you can have some screwy finish with Sting coming down, and then Darby keeps the title. You could do that. But, and a big but, really a Rikishi-sized but, you have to have Darby and Sting left lane. Because that's the only way you're going to make Team Taz get over a little bit more if you don't have them winning titles. You just got to leave Darby and Sting lane. Darby should be a bloody mess. I don't know if you want to make Sting bleed. It's up to them. The worst wedding ever. I don't know what they were doing here. I don't know what the plan was. It didn't have to happen. Nobody should have seen this. This should have been on their YouTube show. But this was a total waste of TV time. I don't know what it did in the rating. I'm hoping it failed miserably. Because this sucked. Miro on the mic. It was so bad. He absolutely sucks on the mic. The only cool part is when you had the crowd doing that song that was on SNL back in the day. (laughs) What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. That's the only cool part of the whole segment. But, um, oh, awful. segment, just so bad. Okay, the main event was really good. I love this main event. The Good Brothers, Omega, Phoenix, and uh, Pac involved. This was really good. 
Now, as you're watching this match, how good was Ray Phoenix in this match? He was showcased as a star. The moves he hit off the rope, I mean, next level. Every move he nailed. Now, Phoenix has been guilty in the past of botching some of these moves, but he was so good. And then, out of nowhere, the good brothers hit the magic killer and beat him. Why did you just beat the guy who looked like the star of the match? This is, again, Tony Khan. And listen, people talk about, oh, well, it's it's the good brothers from Impact. You can't beat them or you have to make them look strong. But did we need a winner? They could still look strong without having a winner. Why did you have to beat someone? I mean, you could have easily done a double DQ. The ref throws the match out. Something simple. So then after the match, a masked man appears and attacks Moxley. And then he reveals himself, and it's Kenta from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now listen, there's, there's been rumblings about New Japan and AEW working in a relationship, and it appears to be the starters of such. And I, I guess Moxley has already been, I haven't watched New Japan in a little while since uh, Wrestle Kingdom, and I think I watched New Year's Dash. So I think it sounds like they're setting up Moxley against Kenta. I don't know if it's going to happen here or there, but it's going to happen at some point for the United States title. Now, this was, I mean, Kenta hit the GTS, and that was pretty cool the way they went off the air. He left the ring. But I was thinking, again, talking about how you beat Ray Phoenix here. I'll give you another finish that would have made sense besides a double DQ. Here's, here's what happens. Ready? The, the, I mean, you could have the ref bump or you could have Callus come to ringside and distract the ref. And then Kenta hits the ring with the mask on, takes out Moxley with the GTS. The Good Brothers pin him and then you get the reveal that it's Kenta. And it would make more sense if Kenta cost Moxley the, the six-man tag. That makes sense. You could say I'm nitpicking, that's fine. I just think that's more simple booking than beating Ray Phoenix. Because, alright, listen, if you're an AEW fan or a fan of wrestling in general, you just turn the show on. And you see Ray Phoenix looking like a star, hitting every high-flying move. It looks so good. It looks like, wow, who's Ray Phoenix if you don't know him? And then you beat him. Like, this guy's a jobber who just got some cool moves off. That's why you don't beat Ray Phoenix there. I just, it doesn't make sense, some of the things they do. But like I said, Tony Khan, schizophrenic booking. Well, I'll give Khan credit for this, though. Uh, the fact that he went to go buy some of the 80s music, as you hear the song with Jungle Boy. And I guess we're going to hear some more music as we go forward now for wrestlers. And and I gave Tony Khan credit on Twitter because I hate the generic fake music that we hear in WWE. I mean, back in the day, like in the 80s, you would hear real music. And then Vince got cheap and didn't want to pay for it anymore. And if you listen to the network, everything from the past now is dubbed over with just horrible music. So if you're if you're a wrestling fan and you go watch the network right now, you would think these guys had the worst music ever if no one told you, oh, by the way, this is not their real music. So if you're a kid, you wouldn't know. These guys came to the, to the ring with real music. And it was awesome. And now if we go back to that, especially in AW, that's going to be a lot better to hear real music. I think, anyway. So, kudos to Tony Khan for doing that. Now, a couple weeks ago, going back really quickly, because I'm almost done here, it's really hard to take AEW seriously sometimes. They open their show with the Dark Order and this this horrible 
former deathmatch guy Luther, who looks like crap. I don't know how this guy is there. And then, you know, you have negative one. I get it. Listen, Brody Lee passed. I'm sorry that that happened. Horrible. His son is out there. But what they did with the son was a little too much. I mean, that could have been done on YouTube. You didn't have to do it for a national audience. Oh, I tweeted, by the way. I tweeted that negative one is already taller than John Silver. <laughs> I mean, John Silver is like 5'3", and people make a big deal out of him. How do you take the guy seriously? I don't know. People love him, though. He's funny, I guess. He's really cutting-edge comedy. So then, I think this was last week. One half of the librarians, which is Peter Avalon, got repackaged as Pretty Peter Avalon. And I went, what the f*** are they doing? Pretty Peter Avalon. And of course, he's wrestling Cody because Cody loves to wrestle job guys. And then, oh, it's Jade, everybody. So Jade comes out, distracts Cody, and then Pretty Peter, let me get that right, low blows Cody. So Cody had already hit the crossroads and looked like he was going to pin Avalon in 20 seconds. And instead, we now get a 10... I don't know if it went 10, I'll be fair. But it was a longer match than it should have been against this dark show indie guy, Peter Avalon. And naturally, I tweeted Cody. I'm like, why do you have to take these job guys to 10 minutes every time? Remember what he did with Warhorse? It's like, what are you doing, Cody? He didn't reply to my tweet, by the way. I'm disappointed. I'm sad, Cody. You should reply to my tweets. Come on, bro. I don't hate on you unless it's warranted. I respect your ring work. As long as you're not doing too much dumb shit. Alright, well, you know what? That wraps up another edition of Morton's Law. Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining me on this episode. Please, again, spread the word. I need more people listening. It would be fun to have. Please uh, send reviews. And a quick shout out to, like I said earlier, check out the Valerie Lynn show. Uh, Check out Box Seat Suck podcast with Tony Soprano and uh, the Work Shoot podcast, Corey Richmond, Jason Brooks. Thank you for listening and God bless gay sex.